Hi, welcome. This is Dr. John Martini. This is one of the most amazing and inspiring shows that you can listen into. If you want to be on the edge of your seats, if you want to open up your heart, if you want to expand your mind, and you want to meet incredible people, stay tuned because you're just about to experience a transformative radio show that will change your life. And you're listening to the Dr. Pat Show that's coming up right next. Welcome to the Dr. Pat Show. Talk radio to thrive by. Powerful, inspiring, and coming to you live, bringing you stories of people like you and me, busting through and living life full out. Get ready to dare to wonder what your life would be like if you knew you could not fail. Hey, everybody. Welcome, welcome. It's so great to have all of you tune us in and turn us on. And I want to say this. I'm going to get right at introducing you to Mary Rose Campbell. And the reason I want to do that is because we are on the verge of talking about one of the most important energies for women of our time. And when we talk about this, it's about breakthrough to possibilities. And and what does that mean? Well, it means words, but it also takes form. Today, you're going to get a taste of the online international conference for women on one of my favorite words for us, resilience. Today, we're going to take a walk with Mary Rose about what does this mean and How is it that someone like she creates a conference to highlight one of the most important issues of our time? Now, why do we say that in the face of COVID? We never thought we would be talking about that level of resilience, that level of, let's just say, get it done-ness than now and what we're faced with. So whether it's a passion for helping people to become the best they could be, past accomplishments, her life, her work, you know, looking at disempowered individuals, right, including people that are, let's say, physically challenged, like the blind, the elderly, the incarcerated, we have that in common, and those with mental illness, we have that in common as well, and addictions. But it doesn't matter what the age is, both men and women alike including the LGBTQ populations. You know, one of the, for me, one of the populations, the high suicide rate that no one is really talking about, but here we are, she is. So what is it that kept her moving forward to create this platform, this beautiful way to really pinpoint that whatever you think you are, whatever you think you have as women, It is much more than that. Welcome to the show. It's great to have you here, Mary Rose. Thank you so much for the invitation. And I I am delighted. I'm a little overwhelmed with your your, um, introduction of me. Thank you. Um, And it probably, for me, I could have gone on. I mean, you have made a conscious decision to step forward in life, this life, maybe past lives, but this life in particular, And look around you and say, there is a gap. I need to fill it. There is a gap. We need this kind of support. I want to ask you about how you became you. And there's always a story behind that. Otherwise, you would not have created this women's conference. There's something in you. I want to know what that is. So do so do so does our audience. 
Well, I'm, I'm not going to go back to the beginning of all of it, but I, I, I think this, this section, this segment, essentially, of my life um, started with the last recession um, when, I mean, it was, it was brutal for me. I had a nonprofit organization that focused on in incarcerated populations of men, women, and children. We made some incredible breakthroughs in Georgia and Florida. And, um, and with the last recession, um, all of that went down the hill and out the door, as well as my own personal finances as well. So I was like kind of held with all this, like, okay, what do I do now? And my younger son invited me to go hiking in Scotland with him. <laughs> and so I, he's like, hey, mom, don't you want to go hiking in Scotland? I'm like, no, um, <laughs> my, my feet hurt. I stopped dancing, which I love to do I, because my feet hurt. I didn't know why my feet hurt because I didn't have health insurance. Um, I had, so there were just, I was like, how do I, how do I do this? And I had participated in a lot of, um, many numerous different, uh, genres of transformational sort of work, um, that essentially was feel the freer and do it anyway. There was just all the, this context and, um, how I describe my son is, uh, that he took the scenic route through adolescence. And for him to be a young man in his 20s asking his mother to go hiking in Scotland with him, like, who am I to say no? So um, I, I tell you, I was totally confronted. I was sitting on my sofa and I was thinking, you know, how can I do this? How can I do this? And so I finally, you know, after two weeks of keeping my bun on the sofa, I finally got up and put on my tennis shoes and walked out of, around the block and I thought I would die. And um I thought, okay, I got to do this. And so I, you know, it just, there was just, you know, like energy. Okay, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. It took me, um, I started, so I got up to three miles. We were going to do 57 miles in Scotland over five days. That was, you know, hike from bed and breakfast to bed and breakfast. And it took something for me to do that. And there were uh, stories along, there was, there were, you know, we well, can't go because of this and you can't go because of this. And you know, I didn't have any credit. Um, I didn't have any money. I, you know, started working with um, with a company. I was trying, you know, I was a, uh, that was um, working with the uh, severely um, mentally mentally um, challenged people who are uh, mental, mental illness, people with mental illness in Atlanta. And um, it was like, okay, how can I create this? And then, um, so my getting out of that, um, letting out, letting my community know, letting, and there being a stand, somebody told me about this woman who ha was a hiking coach. She was just creating her business about being a hiking coach. It's like, oh my God. So I called her and she's, she's one of my speakers. It was amazing. And she, I told her, I don't want to sleep on the ground. Um, we created hiking weekends, uh, hiking days here and there, day trips. Uh, staying in little cabins or places all over Georgia and um, Virginia and on the Appalachian Trail. And um, she was just an absolute stand for me to have breakthroughs in whatever area of life I wanted to. And so she's been a, an incredible friend since then. She has her own life coaching business and she's hiked the Appalachian Trail several times. And her name is Regina Ryder. Um, so breaking through that really provided me with an opportunity um, and, and then, and coming through that, I also wrote a book, a book that's going to be, it'll be republished uh, soon. It should be uh, on Kindle Vision, on Kindle for within the next few days. And it is called This Lessons for Extraordinary Life. 
So in the book, I, I actually talk about the things that the the things that I confronted and how I broke through those and the things yeah. I confronted. But it's not about me, guys. It's like I am no different than any other woman. Every single woman has broken through barriers, and sometimes we forget. We we forget that wellspring of inspiration and ability, and we we hear other people saying, no, you can't do that. You can't do that. Or why do you think you can do that? Or no, you're not, you know, you're not smart enough. You're not good enough. You're not whatever. And what there is for us to do is just to, to get out there and do it. And so my, my intention is with this conference is to focus on the life coaching that some of them offer the uh, extraordinary way these women have recreated themselves regardless of what their circumstances were. And there's some interesting circumstances among, among the, the five women that will be speaking. Yeah. You know what? I got to tell you this. You, you get some enormous calluses, calluses from working up to everybody's chance. Like when you spend your time yep. to work up to everybody else's, you can't do this. You can't do that. You'll never be this. You shouldn't do this. You will get calluses on parts of your body you don't even know you have. And, you know, we get, as women, we get enough calluses. We get, we're, we get enough because we're building up a level of resilience that we don't talk about enough. And, you know, sometimes, uh, you know, what happens is because we don't talk from that place of heart to share our stories, people don't understand that this is just not you and it's not me. Everybody listening has got that resilience momentum inside of them. Talk about what your vision is through this conference for igniting that in women worldwide. Well, all that we've gone through and all that we've gone through the past year, you know, some of it has been election, regardless of which side of the fence that you're on with that. Yeah. It's been um, it's been COVID. It's been women who have been single um you know, and there's, and I want to acknowledge, there are men out there who have, have the responsibility of it all too. Yeah. But, yeah. but frequently women are the ones that are, but of course they're going to end up taking it over because that's what, that's essentially historically what we've done. Uh, in the African-American community, of course, there was the women that, you know, the men frequently were sold off to other, um, to other landowners so that they could not be a part. So there's a, a you know, a major, um, a responsibility that they've had that they've they've taken on. So um, what I what I want what I want this time is I want every woman who watches this conference, I want every one of them to be able to look and see, oh wow, I could do that. Oh wow, she's she show she's showing up just like I'm doing, or she had some concerns like I have. And wow, if she I want people to not look at me and say, well, Mary Campbell, you know, Mary Rose Campbell could do that. I couldn't do that, but Mary, you know, and people have told me that in the past. I want people to see that they are themselves and they have the deep wellspring of, of abilities to break through whatever they want to break through in. And, you know, this is really my, this is exactly for me what motivated me to, to step out into the world in a way that I didn't plan. I mean, I dialed a wrong phone number 16 years ago. That's why we're talking. Um, and the network got started in the same way 10 years ago, going on 11. But that's not what's inside of us. 
See, that thing inside of us is the thing that allows us to dial a wrong, a wrong phone number, a misdialed phone number, let's call it, and not hang up because we know that there's a there there. Isn't that sort of the sense of the women that are coming forward? And the, part of the message of the conference is to remind us that there is a there there, that you know, you're managing kids and COVID and everything else and what you're experiencing now. And I gotta tell you, that, that 2008, nine, that deal right there, that was a showstopper. It was brutal. That was a showstopper. That was brutal. That was brutal. Um, and we learned from it. We learned from it. Yeah. I want to ask you, right, first of all, let's stop for a moment and let's make sure people know how to become part of the conference. Give people information about what they need to know, how to follow you on social media, website, anything you'd like to share with folks today. Okay, let me see if I have this. <laughs> I well, I can tell. I got it here in front of me. Okay, so, well, why don't you tell Because I don't have it exactly right here. <laughs> so for those of you, if you're on Facebook, you want to be looking up Resilient Women's Conference. If you put that in, it'll the page will come up. And you will take a look and you'll see um, what this is about. It's an international conference on resilience for women. And we're going to talk about, you know, right here in a minute, we're going to talk about the people that are stepping up, you know, to participate in the conference. So that that's the first thing you should know. The second thing is you can go to the website resilientwomens with an S conference.com. And when you get there, you're going to be able to see the guest speakers, you're going to be able to go over and look at how to register for this, um, how to follow the events on social media, it's all there. Um, and it talks about what this is about. You know, it talks about the purpose, the passion, what coming together is about. And it really talks about that in normal times, the burdens of work and family and stress to women, they're there. But in 2020, all you need to do is do a a, a, an, an exponential algorithm to say whatever that was, put it on there. I agree with you. There are men I know, one of them happens to be my producer. There are men that know what it's like to raise children, to make sure you have a job, to be there when you need to be there, and to be the best you could be. It's a resilience, right, that somehow you learn over time. And I think it's important that we do honor that. But right now, we have uh, something going on that we need to acknowledge. And that is, how can people learn from the speakers? Let's talk about the speakers, if we could. Okay. So I've spoken a bit about Regina. Um, I've, I've known Regina for a number of years, and she's been an extraordinary um, uh, uh, asset to my life. She uh, has offers uh, 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 hikes with forgiveness walks using uh, radical forgiveness as the background for that. So it's not only hiking, it's also working on what is it that you're holding on to? What is it that's preventing you from really breaking through what you want? Jaha Zanabu is just amazing. I met her when she was in Atlanta a number of years ago and um, she's fun and spontaneous. She lives in LA now. Uh, she writes like in your friggin' face poetry. Yeah. 
also an artist and she is dynamite. I just can't wait for you to hear her. My friend, Wendy Lippert. I know all of these women uh, personally. Wendy Lippert um, was one of the women that I enrolled in, um, in leading programs in the prisons. And she did a marvelous job with, with men and women in, uh, in Georgia and Florida. She, just an absolute stand that people get past their circumstances and uh, create a fabulous life. Uh, Dr. Linda Chen, I don't know her, as, I haven't known her as long, but I had a conversation with her last night. She has an interesting story of uh, addictions and breakthrough, and um, she creates dynamite support for ministers and for chaplains and for people all around. She was really excited to, to um, she told me that she was really excited to be able to present here because she has uh, friends and relatives that don't do the church thing necessarily. And this is an opportunity. This, I told her, I said, now look, we're not doing a church thing here. And she said, okay, I got it. So you'll, you'll, even if you know Linda and you know where she's coming from and you've heard her before, what you will hear this time will be different. Um, and the last gal that I've got is Molly Welch. And what, I met what Molly um, on a, a group, and I'll give a plug for this, the Daily Huddle uh, started from two guys in, in the Atlanta area meets Monday through Friday for half an hour at nine o'clock Eastern time. And, and Molly was on this program and she kind of talked a little funny and she's a young woman, a very beautiful woman. I was like, what is the story with Molly? And uh, I found out she was on her way back to Auburn university from the Atlanta area uh, and was texting while driving and was involved in a horrendous automobile accident. Um, she has had to learn to talk again. She's had to learn to walk again. I mean, what this young, and she has created her own nonprofit. She speaks to schools and groups about, about paying attention when you're driving, but also she is like, she's amazing to be able to create, um, create her life entirely newly than what she thought it was going to be a few years ago. So, um, and our, our MC for the night, uh, for the afternoon is going to be Cheryl Girl. Uh, Cheryl Patterson is amazing. She's from uh, the Charlotte area and has been um, her, at her own show on radio in the past. So I think we've got a dynamic lineup. I think folks will really enjoy this. It'll be fun. Um, you'll laugh, you'll cry, you'll uh, be amazed. Um, you will be inspired. You will be think, oh my God, what could I take on next? That's my yeah. intention. Yeah. What I love about this is, you know, I'm, this is uh this is for me what I do every day, but everybody has a resilience story. Everybody has, you know, been and rode the wave of resilience building and they come from some of the most horrific life events, right? But part of it and the women that you just, you know, introduced is we go through an event and we're almost like the Victor, Victor Frankel of our time. Yeah. We go through the events and now we have a new perspective to talk about them in a way that could help others. I mean, I joke about the first 19 years of my life. I joke about it now a little bit and people are like, dude, your mom committed suicide when you were six. What are you joking about? Well, I don't joke about my mom's suicide. I talk about where I was when that happened and what the circumstance was at age six years old in a Catholic boarding school. But there's a message that we can deliver to everyone. Mm -hmm. Tell me about your vision for the message 
in this conference and what you hope women will be inspired to absorb and embrace? My thought is women are coming forth. You know, there's evidence of it, you know, with with Congress, with um, Kamala, uh, you know, coming in as the the, uh, vice president like. Um, And so I just I just want more women to really think, what could I do? What could I take on? You know, I might be able to take on county commissioner. I might take on, you know, just um, going. Let me go to the school board meetings and find out what's going on. What do they do? and so, you know, like maybe I want to step forward. Maybe I want to be on the school board. Maybe, maybe I have something to offer people. Maybe people would, would listen to me. And how would I do that? And so, yeah, it's like, oh my God, like I'm not a speaker. No, I can't be a speaker. But you, know, you, get, into, you get into your, you know, your stand that what I want is a transformation of the prisons. I have to be able to talk to people. And then what you do is you put yourself in a course or whatever else that would have you break through whatever it is that you think you can't do in the area of public speaking. I mean, you, you know, if something becomes important enough to you, um, you figure it out. You think, you know, like, yeah. And, and you will see things around you where other people have done that. I want my organization to, to be one of those. Um, yeah, I want, yeah. yeah. And let's say, you know, my organization, the, the, I want my organization, company that I have is Yippee LLC, you know, like, yippee, you know, this is about taking your life on and that's who you are is, um, wow, what could I do next? So, yeah. That, that is so funny because if you ask anybody here how I sign a lot of my emails, I have two words I use, Yippee or Yahoo. And I want to just make sure everybody knows the date. It is December 5, December 5th. 2020 and i want to make sure you go to the website resilient women's with an s conference.com and when you get there there'll be a way for you to register so it's december 5 Mm -hmm. at noon right and i just want to make sure everybody knew so it's noon uh 4 p.m uh that can't be right oh yeah no it's noon to 4 p.m. Eastern time. Eastern time so we right. got to be clear about that. Noon to 4 p.m. Eastern time, which is 9, mm-hmm. right? 9 a.m. Mm-hmm. Pacific Perfect. time, just to be clear. But when you go over there, you'll see how to register. Uh, when you register, there'll be information on the website for what steps to take next, information about the conference, all of the above. Also, if you go to social media, you'll be able to go to Facebook if you go to facebook.com, resilient-womens-conference, there you are. Um, I want to thank you for today. I mean, we've talked about quite a bit. And, you know, this is a conference that I'm excited that you've created because it's been a really long time. And I don't know if we went through a lull in sort of women's conferences, mm-hmm. but there is now an energy to do a lot more of this. What's your vision for the future? Um, I see women leading us. You know, I, I, and I don't want to diss white men. We, you know, we, there are many that are, are fabulous and awesome and, and there need to be more women involved in, in what's going on. Um, and 
so I see more and more people stepping up, you know, I don't know where it's going to go. I don't know what my vision is. You know, I, I just want every single person to be touched by something that inspires them. And I hope that this will be one of the things that does that. I, I am sure it will be. And the reason I'm sure about it is because it's time. You know, we are at a point where we're being given almost an ultimatum to be more than we ever thought we could be, right. to do more than we ever thought we could do, and to share the energy of possibilities in ways we hadn't even thought before. And Mary, that's what you're doing. I want to honor you and the work that you're doing. Thank you. And I want to say to everybody out there, please, what's your website? My website that I have up, I run a, a, just a few clients. I, I don't coach many, but my uh, website is yippylifecoach.com. I love Yippylifecoach.com. And my book, uh, This, Lessons for an Extraordinary Life, will be available through Amazon. The Kindle Vision will be 10 bucks. Soon. When's that coming out? It should, it, it, we were going to try to get it up last weekend and it, it will be done within the next couple of days. Oh, so like right around the corner. All yeah, right. right here. Wow. Yeah, really excited about it. Thank yeah. you so much. We'll Thank be you. talking again. Everybody get out there and look at this. Please look at this conference on resilience. Let's take a short break. We'll be right back. Welcome to the Dr. Pat Show, talk radio to thrive by. I am so thrilled to be talking to all of you. We have got talk radio for all of us. Are you ready and willing and able to accept all of the abundance you can muster up in your life? Check us out at drpatshow.com, transformationtalkradio.com, transformationradio.fm. Oh, my goodness. And you're listening to the Dr. Pat Show is coming up right next. Welcome to the Dr. Pat Show. Talk radio to thrive by. Powerful, inspiring, and coming to you live, bringing you stories of people like you and me, busting through and living life full out. Get ready to dare to wonder what your life would be like if you knew you could not fail. Hey, everybody. Welcome to our good news segment. I am so thrilled to have Vice President of Laboratory Investigations for PETA joining me here today, Dr. Alka Chenna. If you're like me, you've seen way too many documentaries, but who's doing something about it? That's what Dr. Alka is joining us here today to talk about. Animal rights advocates push to end the use of monkeys in laboratory experiments. Doctor, it's great to have you here. Welcome to the show. Oh, it's so wonderful to be with you, Dr. Pat. Thank you very much for having me. You know, it's been such an honor to watch, PETA, and to watch the growth, the expansion, your, your ability to take on the tough fights. Give us an update. What is going on? You know, when I tell people what I do, you know, people who I meet, people would be shocked to learn that more than 100,000 monkeys who are imprisoned in U.S. laboratories every single year I think it speaks well of the American people and people in general uh, that we think that this must have ended because we don't like to think that animals Mm. are deliberately imprisoned in laboratories held in small cages uh, and then have all of these horrors visited upon them in the way of experimentation. Um, So it speaks well of people. Unfortunately, it's not true yet. 
uh, you know, we're working to the day when there are no animals in laboratories. We're not there yet. And I think one of the arguments, let's address this particular argument for the people that say, look, you know, if I have to choose between a monkey and my life, you know what I'm going to choose because everyone's under the impression that these, this research, these experiments that are happening turn out for the betterment of humankind. But let's talk about the reality of this and what people don't know. Yes. Um, well, you know, right now the American people are being taken for a ride. Yeah. They're really being lied to by the animal experimentation industry. This is an enterprise that rarely contributes to cures or effective treatments for human beings. Uh, you know, Dr. Pat, there was a study that came out of Stanford University a few years ago. And it documented, you know, through this laborious process of looking at studies, you know, in these um, highly promising results that came out of animal experiments. And they found that 90% of animal experiments, more than 90% actually, fail to lead to treatments for humans. You know, more than a 90% failure rate. And meanwhile, we also know, and this is now from the National Institutes of Health, that more than 95% of pharmaceutical drugs that test safe and effective in animals are found to either not work or are unsafe in human beings. So there's a 95% failure rate with pharmaceutical drugs. Um, so it means that we're really throwing good money after bad when we invest in animal experiments. It's not helping human beings. It's only um, costing a lot of animal lives. And also, when you think about the fact that we're not getting the cures and treatments that we need, it's also costing human lives. So, you know, this is part of the conversation. That's why I call it a good news segment, because the good news is we're finally getting the truth out, right? Um, but let's talk about what happens to monkeys, because I, I think that's the second part of the conversation. And that is, you know, what is it that a monkey on any given day would go through. Yeah, it, it's um, it's a tragedy, really. And people, you know, can go to our website at PETA.org to see video footage. Now, this mm -hmm. is footage that we have obtained through our undercover investigations. PETA will send our employees to laboratories or other places where animals are used and abused. Um, and these people document what's going on in these facilities. Most recently, uh, just earlier this fall, we released the findings of a six-month undercover investigation that we carried out at the Wisconsin National Primate Research Center at University of Wisconsin-Madison. Uh, this is a facility where there are about 2,500 monkeys who are imprisoned. They're kept in barren stainless steel cages. Uh, these are environments that can never come close to meeting the needs of these emotionally complex and highly social animals. Many of these monkeys were caged alone, um, you know, just isolated in the cages, never being able to touch another monkey. And for them, it's just like what it would, have, would be for us, you know, when you think about solitary confinement in prison systems. Um, it's a similar thing. And indeed, these monkeys, when they are caged alone in isolation for years, and sometimes they're caged alone for decades, they begin going insane from yeah. that isolation and that lack of social connection. 
Um, what we saw at Wisconsin National Primate Research Center um, is that monkeys were tearing out their own hair. Yeah. And the primatologists tell us, Dr. Pat, that they do this because they don't have any control over anything else that happens in their lives. They don't control where they live. They don't control what the temperature is. They don't control whether or not they have companions. If they're used as breeders, as many of these monkeys are, if they're used to breed new monkeys, they don't control being able to keep their babies. The babies are taken away from them at around six months of age. Um, you know, they control nothing. And then if they're used in experimentation, they can't control, you know, what happens in those invasive surgeries, what happens when these horrible procedures are carried out on them, whether they're being poisoned or burned, electroshocked, addicted to drugs. Um, they can't control any of that. So what do they do? They pull out their hair. They bite at their own flesh. Uh, you see them in the cages circling madly, you know, rocking back and forth. Um, you know, precisely what you would expect to see in a um, psychiatric asylum. Uh, and, and it's heartbreaking. This is an expose because I do believe that most of us thought that this was handled. And what do I mean by that? I think most of us believe that we stepped out, we passed legislation, we've done things. And so you've been stepping out, making some changes. You've been doing things. You've been looking at, well, wait a minute. But here's the thing. You know, people, I don't think, realize that they're actually paying for this. Is that still true? It's absolutely true. And it's, um, you know, it's just mind-boggling that so much of our taxpayer money goes to this enterprise that is a failing enterprise. So just last year in 2019, the estimate, and it's a conservative estimate, is that between 17 and 18 billion dollars wow. were spent on animal experimentation? Wow. You know, this is money that's dispersed by the National Institutes of Health. Uh, so it's our taxpayer money that's going out uh, to 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 um, carry out experiments on animals, where we've already established, by and large, they don't work. They are not advancing medical science. They're not resulting in the cures and treatments that we desperately need. Uh, But then, you know, this is the good news program. And so I have to say, the good news is that there are better ways. Yeah, this wouldn't be good news segment if you and I were talking about it and you all at Peter were not doing anything or not made progress. Because I think the progress that you've made, especially in this area, that to me is seriously important. And I think it was you guys that did the expose on veal. And that was like, had to be like a bunch of decades ago. But you see, those are the things that say to people like me, oh my God, I didn't know. And isn't this a didn't know moment? Absolutely. And I think we've all been there. I mean, I remember when I was, you know, in university as an undergraduate student, um, when I first saw videos that came out of PETA. So very much like you, I was, um, you know, shaken up by what I saw. And, you know, I sort of have had always thought of myself as somebody who, you know, really read the media and knew what was going on. I kind of prided myself. You know, I was a cocky 18, 19 year right. old. Um, and then I learned, you know, cosmetics were being tested on animals at the time. And yeah. there were experiments, you know, going on at universities, you know, many of them curiosity driven experiments, not really having anything to do with human health, but just, you know, curiosity about how certain biological systems worked. And um, yeah, so it was a real wake up call for me. And I think that's the way it is yeah. for everyone. And part of the reason, Dr. Pat, is because 
I mean, these laboratories are not advertising that they do what they do. You know, it's hidden away. Yeah. And um, I mentioned that we do these undercover investigations. We also hear from whistleblowers, you know, people who work in these laboratories who are actually kind-hearted people, um, you know, who, who thought that they were going to go and advance uh our understanding of medical science and what they found instead was that animals were being abused, that they weren't given veterinary care adequately, that they were kept in horrific conditions. And they got tired of hearing the dogs yelping. They got tired of seeing the monkeys um, Mm. in such psychological anguish. And so they called PETA. So we have video footage, photos, whistleblowers also. And I think this goes back to your point. Um, um, one of the things that we do is we submit Freedom of Information Act FOIA requests or um, requests under state sunshine laws where we ask for video footage. When we learn that somebody, an experimenter, has taken video footage of certain experiments, we request that. And I'll tell you, Dr. Pat, it's like pulling teeth. You know, the uh, institution will say, no, you can't have it. It's proprietary. And they make up all sorts of excuses that don't hold legal water. And so our attorneys get on the case and they pry that video footage out of the laboratory's fingers. And so, um, you know, when, when you see the footage, you know why they didn't want it to be revealed. And this is what's going on. This is a very secretive industry. It's an industry yeah. that doesn't want the public to know what's going on because it is horrifying yeah. and because the public at large is kind-hearted and cares. You know, it reminds me of uh, Gloria Rubin and her effort to clean up the Hudson and the folks to clean up the Hudson. And, you know, it reminds me of, you know, how we can watch on the outside and see things happening. But on the inside, we don't know that gallons of oil are being dropped into a river. This is the same thing. This is gallons of harm being impacted on on these monkeys and babies by the way that absolutely have no rights under this arena um doctor thank you so much for today last question um please let folks know how they can find out more and what's your personal message what do you want to what do you want to leave us with today sure well what i want to leave uh, your listeners with is a is a note of optimism. Yeah. Together we can make a difference. You know, back in 2015, Harvard University closed its National Primate Research Center. It had a massive laboratory with more than a thousand monkeys, and it closed down that laboratory because they knew that the public was stirring up um, controversy because of the mistreatment of the monkeys there. You know, Harvard did the right thing. And right now we're calling on the NIH, the National Institute of Health, to do the right thing. Close down the laboratories. Enough is enough. You know, there are better methods out there, human relevant methods, um, and we can use those instead. So let's shift our funding priorities, do something that uh, not only helps human beings, but it means that our tax dollars aren't wasted and we see a lot of animals who are saved in the process as well. Uh, so people can come over to PETA.org, P-E-T-A.org. That's our website. And you will see video footage. You'll also see something that we authored um, with our scientists called the Research Modernization Deal. It basically lays out a plan, a strategy, a roadmap uh, for getting away from animal experiments. You know, uh, pointing out what the failures have been with animal experimentation in the different uh, disease areas like Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, heart disease, et cetera. 
and talks about what the alternatives are. We can do this. And, um, you know, we can look to the day uh, where there are no animals being tormented and killed in laboratories. And, you know, let's leave everybody with this note because it's factual. And this is why I do call this good news segments. Anytime we can bring people the truth. It is good news. And this is more than 90% of animals, animal experiments fail to lead to treatments for humans. More than 90%. So I just want to say that then more than 95% of new pharmaceutical drugs that test safe and effective in animals fail in human clinical trials. There's got to be a better way. Thank you, doctor, for everything you're doing. Thank you to PETA. Thank you, Dr. Pat. What a pleasure to speak with you. Really all right. appreciate it. Yep. So all of you out there, this is some great information. I bet you're like me. You didn't think this was going on. But remember, go to PETA.org. Check it out. And I bet something else. I bet your kids know about this. Let's take a short break. We'll be right back. TransformationTalkRadio.com. Alejandro Bedia has said it better than most people. Healthcare reform or healthcare. You all have heard me talk about some real life stories, things that people are going through right now. But what is it that we cannot get? What happens when both Democrats and Republicans fail, and anybody else, fail to address shattered US healthcare system? What is it about that? Well, let's talk about a right hot off the press new book, Healthcare from the Trenches. And it's exciting to be talking to Dr. Alejandro Badia right now. Doctor, it's great to have you here. Welcome. Thank you, Pat. Really a pleasure to be here. You know, look, I have shared a story that goes back a bunch of years. Went from a corporate job, lost healthcare, ended up in Washington State, and right on the verge of having my healthcare yanked because of a pre-existing condition, Something changed, and all of a sudden there was this this CARE Act, and my insurance company not only couldn't cancel me, but they had to reduce my rate. Now, what have I learned from that? I learned how vulnerable we are. Uh, has that changed? Aren't we all still vulnerable? The, the, the problem with the, um, you know, with the ACA and, and the acts is that, yes, there, there, there's, uh, when you just outline what's the benefit. The problem is it hasn't lowered our overall cost of delivering health care. And it's just not sustainable. It's because we're not addressing the root problem. Uh, fixing health care is not simply about making sure that uh, folks are covered. Right. I, th- I think it's about changing how we deliver health care to make it much more cost effective, which then there'd be money left over to really take care of everybody. Uh, it's, it's, it's not rocket science. It's mind boggling to me, doctor, because I'm right there with you. And why does it seem so obvious to some and so elusive to others? You know what I'm trying to say? You know, and you have patient stories that really hit you right between the eyes about this, right? Sure. Well, uh, well, let me just say that currently the people who control healthcare, right, are not the people who actually deliver it, right? It's not. <laughs> The, the doctors and nurses and therapists at all, right? So we know that. And and the people currently control that are making a hell of a lot of money. So why would they uh, why would they want to change it dramatically? So the book, hmm. the book talks about that. It says it's really got to come from us. So what the question is, when when are people going to be concerned that healthcare is chewing up 20%, one out of every $5 
goes to healthcare delivery in the U.S., whereas number two in the world, uh, Norway, is at about 10.3% of their GDP. So why are we twice as expensive? Um, and it's because there's a lot of waste and there's a lot of bureaucracy in the system that isn't going towards actual healthcare delivery. But isn't there also, I mean, I'm going to step out for a minute and, and, and just take a risk here. Isn't it also because we're not just duplicating at multiple levels? And let me just yeah. let me just tell you what I mean. You know, there's the federal level. Then there's the state level. Then there's the city level. And, and let me just tell you, in, in where I live, there's the county level. And exactly. my God, it's like depending upon where you live, how many duplicate, quadruplicate costs are we enduring? And what are you talking about to people in, in what you're writing about? What are you saying to say, look, there's another option? Well, what, what I'm saying is, is, is it's certainly easier said than done, but <laughs> it is very feasible, which is simply eliminate a lot of the hurdles and obstacles which end up delaying care um, mm. and, and adding huge costs to the system. So we just we simply need to have a real dialogue with with people who are actually in the trenches, the people who deliver it. And we, between all of us, we can get together and say, look, every time I see a patient, this and this happens. Well, there's no need for that. Mm. Now, those are hard choices we have to make. And the people who are going to be diminished in that process are making a lot of money. So that we have to, as a society, we have to be willing to do a major uh, about face. And that, that's the only question. I'm not sure I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to see it in my lifetime, but somebody has to talk about it. You know, you have created a number of different things. This comes from a personal uh, history with you. You and I have this in common. You know, when we are touched personally by, mm, what's the word I want to use? Uh, healthcare, lack of healthcare, illness, disease, call it whatever you want. But when you have been touched personally, it really fires something up inside of you. Um, and I want to ask you, what got fired up inside of you and what did you create as a result of it? Well, actually, um, and I've been fortunate. I mean, I, I talk about in the beginning of the book, my grandmother had a horrific rheumatoid arthritis. Yeah. Part of the reason that I, I became a... Mine too. But... Oh, that was oh, that right? Well, so you know what what the condition that is, but that no, that that is not uh, that motivated me personally uh, to be a, a healer. But what uh, what motivated me to um, to start, for example, Ortho Now, which I talk talk about in a book, and is a, a common sense approach to orthopedic care, um, and then write the book was simply what I experience every Monday when I see patients in my office is that every single patient that sees me as a hand surgeon has been through a number of hurdles that make no sense. And that's where I see the waste in the system. And that is what motivated me. It, it wasn't personal health challenges, uh, thank goodness, in, in my case, or, or in the, those very close to me. Um, it was really the, my patients, yeah. my care, which are like family to me. And I see what they go through. And I say to myself, um, like in the book, I go, well, why... Why do I need somebody sitting at a desk to provide me an authorization to do, to, 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 to do that care, to do that surgery? I mean, haven't I been screened enough with, with my education and my training? Why, why does somebody sitting at an insurance desk and that person has a salary and benefits? So why, why did we institute this in the system? 
that it makes no sense. And that's what I want to bring attention to with the book. Yeah, you are bringing attention to it. Before we get too far into this, I want folks to know, first of all, how do they find out about you? How do they find out about the organization? And, you know, congratulations on co-founding you know, the Miami Anatomical Research Center as well. I mean, you are all in on this. And I want folks to know how they can find out about you, the book, and everything else. Sure, very easy. Um, my, you know, about 30% of my practice is actually international, even domestic. So I, I was talking to a lady uh, yesterday mm-hmm. from uh, Minnesota with a complex problem. And they, they find me through my website, which is drbadia.com. So that's D-R-B-A-D-I-A.com. Uh, at drbadia.com, there are links then to the other things that I'm doing, including the book. A simple one for the book is drbadiabook.com or the whole word, which is simply healthcarefromthetrenches.com, and, and it's on Amazon, as, as you know. Um, so I'm very easy to reach, and I pride myself on that. I'm very accessible. I answer the emails myself. But I will tell you that there remains still some apathy because I've done a number of, of you know radio shows and, uh, and podcasts, and it, it's really rare that somebody reaches out to me and says, hey, I heard this. Uh, um, you know, this makes sense. You know, how can I help or or, or – um, that's really rare, and yet, you know, we have this issue with what happened with the, with the police, and all of a sudden, you know, you know, people are burning cars, and I'm thinking, well, mm-hmm. what's it going to take for the public to care about healthcare? Yeah, when we have personal crisis, it's personal. But when you have the masses relating to something as we do now. I, I would bet that people are going to pay more attention to what you're talking about because there's not a doctor on the planet that I know or a patient on the planet that understands why every time I get this special IV treatment I need, somebody has to get authorization. You have to file a form, you have to get the drug, even for Medicare, where they know you're getting it. So this is, I think, what you call cutting out the fat, right? Yep, yep. I, well, I, 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 you know, I, I talk, um, um, the book is not intended to actually solve the healthcare crisis, but be- between myself and the 27 contributors, the final chapter, and I don't want to, I don't want to give away the, the mm-hmm. whole thing, but I will tell you that there's a number of very defined um, initiatives that are not difficult. So one is we're, we're trying to do that now, right? The current administration is interested. We'll see what happens Tuesday, but we need more transparency in healthcare pricing, right? That's one. Um, we need to get rid of all the middlemen, the administrators and all everybody that's actually just bloating the system. Um, and they're not adding a lot of value. I mean, they mean well. I'm not I'm not disparaging them. But but, but you don't need that person giving you an authorization. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, so these, these are the things that um, that we can do. And, and in the end, we need to involve us, the clinic, and I hate the word provider, right? I put it in quotations on my on the cover of the book. But, you know, let's just use an insurance term. We're, I'm, I'm a provider of health care. Um, we should be in the conversation to reform health care. It shouldn't just be politicians and lobbyists, insurance administrators, and, 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 and doctors like, say, whether it be, you know, Dr. Gupta or Fauci. I mean, these are, these are uh household figures, but they're really not in the trenches anymore. I mean, we need to get the people who are feeling the pain of delivering the care to say, hey, how can we fix it? Yeah. That's 
that's what we're trying to achieve. As a researcher, um, one of the things that I'm stunned about is the level of inaccuracy. I did an interview with the head of Medicare a number of months ago when they did a just a stunning report that came out on costs of drugs. So the main question I ask is on their methods. And I said, I love that you did this report. I love that you're talking about this. But can you explain why you included countries that don't have a comparable system? I mean, why would you include Canada when they have a totally different system? And they were so shocked at my questions <laughs> that they banned that organization from ever interviewing me. So this this has got to be more accurate information to the public. You can't come out and say, our drug prices are higher and you've done a study and what you're using Austria as your baseline. So isn't that part of the conversation to get people real factual information about what their options are? Oh, it certainly is. The problem is uh, us clinicians are under the gun. We, we have I know. to work with the industry, with the government. And, um, and let's face it, a lot of people are afraid. Uh, I don't know why I'm not. Um, I, I guess Either. I'm an entrepreneur. Uh, no, I'm, just, I'm not. I'm just not afraid. I don't know why. Um, I, I think we know why, because you and I have people in our lives, loved ones, and we've seen them go through what they go through. So, you know, here you and I are talking about this. We're not afraid because this is really hit home for us. And you're seeing it every day with the pain in people's eyes, in their hearts being torn open because they can navigate through the system. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, it, it, yeah it's a daily thing. As I said, it, it, you know, fortunately, my case is not as, as, as personal with mm-hmm. family, it's, it, it, but, it's, but it's more so with the patients. Yeah. I have many more patients than I do family members. I know that. And, uh, and it's, so, for example, the, the drug pricing, um, I bet you most people have never heard of PBMs. In fact, when I was <laughs> researching a book, I didn't know much about them. Um, so I have all the references in the book. Uh, PBMs are pharmacy benefit managers. Yep. People have no idea that these companies are really what bloat the prices of uh, yep. medications in this country. And people don't know what they are. Well, we really don't need them. And believe me, I'm a capitalist. I mean, I'm a Cuban immigrant. I fled <laughs> you know, communism with my family. Uh, so I, I have no problem with, with whether it be an insurance company or making a lot of money. But we also have to look at what makes sense. And if somebody's making a lot of money when it's really not needed mm-hmm. or it's, it's bloating the, 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 the core product, which is the actual delivery of the healthcare or that medication, then we have a responsibility to society to look under the hood. Yeah. Say, Wait, what, what can we do to change? And it's not just passing a law like Obamacare. I mean, that, that did not lower the cost. Let's, we, have to, we have to face up to that. We do have to face up to that, but I'll tell you from my personal perspective, I would be bankrupt right now. I would be out. I'd be gone. Look, it it helped 25 million people. Yeah. We we cannot look a gift horse in the mouth. I I get it. There's there's something better. Yeah, we're way beyond that. I want to thank you, Dr. Badia, for today. And I want to say this. You and I, I come from one place, and and I'm reminded of this on a regular basis. Somewhere in the oath... It says, do no harm. I would just love for us to get back there, wouldn't you? Oh, yeah. Well, that, that's what we're striving for. Yeah. I can tell you my colleagues feel strongly about this. Yeah. We just simply need the dialogue and really the public awareness. So I thank you for helping uh, bring, bring that awareness to your, to your listeners. Yeah. And if I may say, go, NYU. 
Thank you, Dr. Padilla. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you so much. Hey, everybody, I need you to go out and check this out.